Welcome to part two of our two-part series on how the restrictions of COVID-19 and the gym restrictions and not being in our typical training environments or with our typical training groups is taking us to hopefully some new reflections and some new ideas in training and our physical practice and its relationship and its relation to coaching. I know I've been learning a lot and been training differently and it's really been good to sit down and talk to other coaches on how they're training and how uh, these restrictions are are bringing about reflections in them on uh, not only movement practice, but the meaning behind the movement and exercise and, and how this all relates to uh, what we're doing as coaches and how we can all be better and stronger through all this. Last episode, we had Jeremy Frisch, Rob Assis, and Dr. Tommy John. This time we have Paul Cater, Rachel Balkovic, and Rafe Kelly. Paul Cater is the owner of the Alpha Project in Salinas, California. He has over a dozen years of international level strength and conditioning experience, working with teams like London Wasps Rugby, the Baltimore Orioles, USA Rugby, as well as having years of experience in working with scholastic level athletes, as well as adult populations. Paul has been a huge mentor to me in my own coaching process. He is an insightful writer, uh, engaging coach, and someone that I'm really excited to have on this show for his first, uh, for his first appearance on the show. Rachel Balkovic made history as the first female strength and conditioning coach in pro baseball and then recently made history again as the first female hitting coach in pro baseball. She was a guest recently on episode 193 where she talked about not just coaching but also organizational leadership and Rachel has an amazing ability to take many aspects of life that go beyond just just training and coaching and relate it all back to what we're doing and I'm excited to have her back on the show for this segment. Rafe Kelly is the owner of Evolve Move Play. He has done probably more physical movement practices that I could explain in the next one or two minutes. Uh, but they range from anything from the martial arts to basketball to working with CrossFit and now his current work in nat- parkour and specifically natural parkour. Rafe is an amazing teacher, not just of movement practice, but also the meaning behind human movement practice and really what it means to be human in our environment. There's so many implications with what Rafe is doing and and training. And also, I, I really am excited to have him because if you are near trees, if you are near nature, you have a gym. And so that and Rafe is going to get into a little bit of his own natural parkour movement practice today. These are three guests I'm really excited to have, and this will finish part two of this mini-series. It's been a fun ride, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Let's get on to it. So your departure, you have one of the nicest and most awesome, it's like the Mecca, man, your gym. I, I mean, I've always loved going down there, It's it's. but I would say that the best training sessions that you, have, you and I have probably had together have been outside your gym, uh, doing things like running on the trails and the beaches and the dunes and, and everything that goes there. I mean, it's been good all around, but... How's your transition been uh, getting away from the, uh, I, what, what did you call it before, your, your gym? The, the pretty prison, the gilded cage. <laughs> <laughs> How's your time away from the gilded cage been now in this return to essentials or essentialism? Yeah, it's been, it's been uh, I would say, career and life-saving. I mean, I don't, I don't use that, I don't say that lightly. I think um, I had gone so far away from my own training process um regurgitating you know you know i think novel ideas or but that are old for me um definitely not doing my own training not not discovering um 
and and work just getting so uh let's say burdened by the ad- administrative part of that that i became to i began to loathe um my my career path and i think just training itself really <laughs> so i mean i i i've you throw a new a new baby in there and a toddler and that kind of adds some different challenges but it's been it's been essential i mean it's been an absolute uh you know i don't use this word lightly either blessing and um to just be forced to stay home you know unfortunately i have a nice uh, setup in my garage so i am able to mix in some of my favorite things but um, it's been outside recommit to running really yeah, that's only something we had talked about before too. Was uh, that sprint sprinting at the core of it all, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think that it's I think that it's interesting to see. I made a post on his Instagram, just kind of asking people what if they could pick only two exercises, mm-hmm. what would it be? And sprinting is pretty common, and just about just about. I mean, this is granted. This is the crowd that follows me, so you're, that's yeah. what you're going to see. If right. it's a different, yeah, if it's, it's a, yeah, if it's a CrossFit page or something else, it's probably going to be some barbell related type things or pistols yeah, but you'd be surprised i mean i think the, the follower i think um it's the, the what i've noticed in in all the different sport realms you know having worked in in two two different um professional sport realms and then privately and and whatnot the the tendency is to go to what what you know what's comfortable what's scalable what's understandable i think there's a lot of mysteries in sprinting no matter how many people i think how people try to codify it and teach it i think the barbell is an easier an easier uh more understandable um truth so to speak but it's 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 it can also i think uh take a lot of focus away from the essentials like why why do we lift weights you know and, and I think recently in, in American culture, at least, the barbells become a culture in itself where, you know, hey, it used to be this thing you'd see in the Olympics every every four years, really. So um, I think it's taken a lot, even for the people who understand sprinting and, and the necessity of it, it's taken coaches time away from practicing sprinting. Most of the coaches I, I know and respect don't we'll put more more of the priority on the barbell in instead of the run the run first sprint first mentality yeah yeah it was it was interesting it's a path of least resistance i suppose and you're able in a back to the pretty prison (laughs) you're able to stay inside you're able to and and it becomes a magnet for teaching and discussion and it's it's harder to go outside and and have a, a, a really uh in in-depth in sprint session because it's, it's probably more of a personal thing i suppose yeah it, with um with sprinting and running too i know one of the things that you've done i mean i think it was probably easier to do this a month ago than it is now you know with all the various restrictions mm-hmm. and things like that but one of the things that we've done i know you've done is is the storytelling that goes on behind running outdoors, sprinting outdoors in various manners and constraints. And I think that it's fun to get into the nuts and bolts of sprinting. Like we've done talking about the kid in your gym, who's the fastest and has that internal rotation and and all that as he runs and not the best weight room guy, but trying to dissect that. And then 
But then the other flip side of that, the other end of the spectrum, it's just delivering something to athletes that they really love and enjoy and uh, different forms of running. And uh, tell me a little bit about some things that you were doing with, I think it was like dune running, but there's some storytelling yeah. behind it or, or the way that you uh, teach for athletes. Sure. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, we've talked about this, the whole idea that um, every training session really, in, you know, really is an experience. Um, and that's the, that's the tricky part because we want to be such good planners and we want to um, get this, these periodization models and whatnot. But in re in within that every day is a, is a story is a, is a, an epic uh, novel. <laughs> it's a saga of overcoming of, you know, and obviously, you know, it's, it's, uh, the hill, hill running is definitely like a, a metaphor, but it's also, you know, there's, there's real training benefits obviously, but, um, there's something about running up a hill, even with my daughter, it's like, we go for trail running and whenever we go up, she just, she just loves, she goes up, 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 <laughs> up. And, and in even my dog, like he will run, he'll run the hills and, uh, in, instinctively in there's something in an animal intuition, I think to, to ascend and to climb, um, you know, why do we climb? Because it's there type thing. So I, I, th I think, uh, yeah, getting out, getting outdoors, hills are, um, metaphoric and, and like part of a saga and, and story but um you know we can do that with any training session I, I believe i think there is a story behind every session and we need to be open to that how it how it kind of ushers in the, the creative process you know um because that's what we are i think as, as strength conditioning coaches we're and and i've mentioned this i wrote i think i wrote this in a in, recently is you know, as far as I, I wanted to be this guru, technology guru, and, and as I pursue like PhD work and stuff, I think that's important, but I can't get away from being the encourager and the craft and like creating the culture and the climate for it, for these stories. And, um, but where I'm not the star of the, of the story, I have to make my athlete, this, this, the story, the, the, uh, protagonist, and, um, and that's important to, you know, I'm kind of rediscovering that in, in my outdoor life now, you know, yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, it's hard to be alone in that regard because, because as coaches, we do want to be these encouragers and that's in our DNA, but we do need time alone to, to hone, to hone that and gain the personal experience. Yeah. Stillness, stillness is the key. Um, I was going to say too, the, tell me a little bit about, you know, I know when you and I have gone out running on trails, and this ties me in a little bit. Uh, Rafe Kelly will have a spot on this episode talking about playing natural parkour and playing in trees and things like that. Yeah. But we've done things where, like, it's like you're you're out in a, a in the back, not backwoods of Marina, California, yeah. but but kind of like this, like um, this these trails where you have to run and jump over things and hurdle oh, yeah. over bushes, and it's almost like you're you're on this uh, you're on a hunt or you're being chased and you're you're oh, yeah. out in the wilderness and you're tri it's like a tribal thing and there's something that's so powerful to a story or it being an epic or something and yeah it's man, so easy for our kids too to carry imagination into things but oh, we don't man. we just stop it as soon as we get older right <laughs> I think it, it, this goes into what you've talked about and you know my realities I I never get hurt i never pull a hamstring when i'm when i'm trying to catch a football i mean that's just i mean unless you're doing like some you know there's other contact or there's other other external like, circumstances but you know when i'm tracking a ball or like a fly ball on the outfield or whatever 
um, I always felt like when my focus was on um, an object, catching an object, or and you know I, that my body was in alignment and rhythm, um, I wasn't overextending. You know, I wasn't overthinking technical a- aspects, and I. I I, I don't have miles per hour on my, I didn't have my tracking systems when I was shagging fly balls before the game, but um, I, I felt like I was faster. I mean, at least I think when you talk about holding something, whether it's a spear, a gun, um, there's, there's something, you know, so yes, imagination, but I think there are technical uh, aspects to diverted focus on, on one's own technique being chased, chasing something, um, and then we can invoke that with imagination, with, uh, with whether we're training kids or training ourselves, as, as far as or with your dog in the mountains or whatever it is on the streets. It's it's uh, you know putting yourself in in a story. So yeah, with, 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 when we're doing street, uh, street sprints, and this is my third time in a garage gym before, and, and actually monetizing, I suppose, running a business. So. Before I, I changed one location, I had to stay in, in a garage for a while, and I was training a lot of guys. But we were always in the streets, and so we'd wait for a car to go by, and, and we chase the car. Or um, with kids recently, we were running and we we were, were role playing, or, or you know, pretending that we were being chased or hunting or something like that. It's, yeah, it's it's a there's creative process, but I think there's also there's also real knock on effects for technical um, aspects in the, the running itself. Yeah, the technique, uh, it's like that constraint sled approach and some stuff I'm getting through through some mo- studies in motor learning and like emergences, new courses. A lot of these experiences kind of work together to help your technique um, come out organically. Um, I'm not Without saying a that, doubt. Because, you, yeah. you know, the, the, the biggest problem with, with youth, and I've, I've shifted from professional athletes to, to, to primarily youth and a, a lot of eighth grade to sophomores, which I, I love. I totally love that age group because – you're able to see where they're going down this path of um, of just following a list or memorization, in, but reinvigorating their creative process with movement and, or even you know, see my my daughter now, the two year old, mimicking things, but 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 also finding her own ways to do stuff. But um, yeah, the the uh, my my goal is to have everyone leave the gym, or whether it's outside with. A, a story to tell, you know, and and some sort of own discovery of, of creativity, and that that boils down to a lot of just the warm up. I think um, and what I've seen in my what I've seen a lot is the warm ups formulaic, where I think it needs to be more creative, and we've talked about that before. Yeah, yeah, and and for those people who. Uh, there's a lot of great articles you've written for just like sports in that regard. And it's changed the way that I've looked at the warm up as well. Um, it's, it's really changed it. It's been a total paradigm shift. I used to have all these different, like, it's like you have a car and all these little parts and it's almost, right. or the say the human body is like this machine and, and you, you have a clamshells for this thing and you have a rotator yeah. van for this and, and the athletes just bored and it's mundane, but you can, you can, check all the things off that list by just having a more primal integration yeah. and human movement and stay in flow and is awesome, man. I, I, Hey, I, um, that'd be, that'd be a chat for another full podcast actually. And I, I hope we get to do that here. Well, soon. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, just to you brush on it quickly. Yeah. Gameplay, obviously, you know, that could, that is a different topic in itself, but 
Um, you know, having a basketball court, resourcing that, resourcing gameplay. But it, it, it's the real conversation to me is at the education system, as far as young coaches, and where more and more of my passion lie is um, in, in, in the internship program and things like that. Because these co- kids coming out of college are severely ill-equipped for for t- for teaching and engaging, and you know, they're just. It's just a memorization game and the certification game. That's another topic. Yeah, yeah, another, yeah, yeah. The, the storytelling in the saga is very low on the typical university and intern. You know that formal education list. I don't think you find that in the NSA book. Uh, it's and hopefully, hopefully someday. It's, but it's, it's hard to scale. Scalability yeah. is is the issue, really. And I'm we're discovering that. I'm discovering that the boundaries and the challenges and the and the, the benefits of technology and being remote. You know. Mm-hmm. Currently, and that, and that I think that's the most pertinent pertinent topic right now uh, in, in in the isolation quarantine phase is like okay, what is real really scalable, and what isn't, and and where do we? Because it's you can go down a rabbit trail or whatever the rabbit hole. I don't know what the saying is, but mm-hmm. you can go down a path chasing that scalability model, and that's you can wake up years later thinking, wow, I've really lost, I've really lost my creative edge or my own process in in that and that's kind of where i where i'm at right now in my own garage yeah you know uh quickly yeah last that last question let's just cover this quickly as mm. we kind of started with it but your your own workouts right you've gotten away from the mm. the pretty prison or the the ivory mm. tower and your return to minimals or essentials and obviously you have you have a lot of your equipment still mm. if not all of it in some capacity right but what um how has this time changed you like what are some ways are you approaching exercises in a different way are you returning to your roots or your true loves of movement and what you you alluded to that before share share a little bit about that right i think it's 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 really returned to my core principles i don't i haven't discovered anything new per se it's just rediscovering my old love and and what i've really tried to champion i'm not i'm not an elite sprint coach i don't have elite sprinters i coach um i i try to put things in a context for for every man um but for for what's realistic in in professional sport i believe is is in in, and it boils down to this is like everything has to filter through that through that ground force reaction at high rates of speed you know and 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 running and that it takes care of so much peripheral bs to be honest i mean that and and i've learned that a bit through the adult trying to cater to the adult um, clientele and just seeing how much is done to try to emulate or replicate these forces they get with running and, and it's it's nearly impossible so mm-hmm. um, it just nothing matters to me other than if, if you can uh, if you practice running fast and I, that's even for an 80 year old and and we do a drill with my I'm an uh, 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 old, older athlete class where we just get out of a chair and run as fast as we can. And, you know, of course, that takes time mm-hmm. to get to that with people aren't used to do moving at those mm-hmm. speeds. But, like, that's just the basics or, or running with my daughter in the street, you know. So return to running. I, I, I continue to use all the tools I, that I love. You know, I, I have my flywheel equipment. I have a barbell here. But it just hones their focus and when and, and how to use them. So that's where I'm, I'm kind of re- rediscovering the whys of you know why do i love flywheel training so much and um you know where do i put the barbell into play and 
you know, I actually have learned to do a little bit more floor work, a little more mobility work. I became quite negative towards it because I saw just how much people, how much time people do it and make it, mm-hmm. they made a, a culture around it, uh, an energy system or, a, uh, you know, the, the yoga like movement or the mobility movement or hit movement. And like, I've tried to place all that in a gym to, to, to sustain it. And I'm like, so I became quite negative towards those things, but now like, oh, hey, I, I got to do a little of that. I got to learn how to use a, a Tabata timer or on, on a, you know, download an app for that. Or I have to actually do some, some more yoga-based movement patterns and, and things like that. I can't be negative. Or, or I, I'm right back where of all the things I'm preaching against, like dogmatic religi- religiosity of training where we, we create a religion around a certain type of aspect of fitness where instead of looking at the global the context of hey why does this matter but it all really boils down to movement in a in a forward (laughs) horizontal translation that that's survival that's the saga that's that's the quest i believe and 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 it's the most efficient way to to stay lean to and to get not you know to get the bodies we want to so that's another another topic itself but um, yeah so that's a long answer as, as you know i do <laughs> yeah the it's rambling a, it's all right yeah so in short it's like create a story a saga behind the simple things the innate things i mean that's like rocky training i'll probably say that a bunch of times on this show uh with with all the guests you know it's a return to the roots and put a saga behind it and i think that it's um you know that's not necessarily scalable like you said but it's it's the core of what we do so i mean well last point i mean look at you see everybody trying to replicate um, exercises in their in their in their homes and their living rooms and their garages. You know, hey, I, I can squat a dog, or I can I can squat, or if I have a I have a barbell in my garage, I'm like, hey, I can do that too. But I don't I don't see many 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 um, videos from the average person, strength coach or average aspiring coach or whatever trainer of them just sprinting as fast as they can. You know, and, and it's like I, I challenge everybody to go try to do that, and then, and then you then you work backwards and say, well, what do I need to do to to do that better? Um, so anyway, I'm again, it's it's hard. I'm not a an elite sprint coach, but I know I think where the place it plays in the in the in the average athletic development experience from ten to eighty, and whether you're a professional or not, you know whether you're a pro ball player or whether you're a little Johnny or whether you're grandma Susie, it's, it's like that needs to be our quest is, is, is to, to run well and escape danger <laughs> to chase things, to hunt, you know? Yeah. Right on, man. Well, Hey, um, Paul, it was really good talking to you about this stuff today. And I know, yeah, we could talk forever, but I think, um, really good things to think about really important elements. So appreciate it, man. Hey, yeah. Anytime. I wanted to take a quick break from the show to share with you a little bit about what our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, now has available in their store. You hear me mention in the outro of the show all the time about the free lap timing system in the K-Box, which I have and use regularly. But today I wanted to share a little bit more about the bar speed monitoring units that Simply Faster has, which is the Gym Aware and the new portable flex unit. 
So let me start with the gymware. I mention it regularly on the show. It's been referred to as the Cadillac of bar speed monitors. Carl Valley calls it a lab inside a lunchbox. As the readings you get out of the gymware go well beyond typical concentric or just up the up phase of the lift velocities. Rather, you can measure the entire shape of the barbell lift in terms of eccentric velocity, range of motion, and total work done. Total work being awesome, by the way, especially like comparing a long-armed bench presser or a 6'10 squatter versus a 5'11 point guard. So you're getting all these extra metrics that you're not getting on other units. It's perfect for teams wanting to manage the weight room and the data synchronizes to software platforms such as Coach Me Plus, Team Builder, and Athlete Monitoring. So new to the store is the Flex, which is the ultra portable and lower price travel version of the coach's favorite gym wear. So just like the gym wear, the Flex measures the shape of each rep, range of motion, total work done, eccentric dynamics. So for this and the gym wear, this is the advantage that a force plate would have over just knowing how high you jumped. You're getting many other metrics and information that go into this unit of work. Compared to similar portable bar speed monitors, this unit gets the entire rep rather than a fraction. So you have here two awesome tools. And if you're interested in upping your game in the velocity-based training and bar speed world, I would definitely recommend heading to the store at simplyfaster.com and checking into these two units. All right, let's get back to the show. Rachel, I'm glad to have you on the show again here. And I just wanted to ask what or how has this time changed well, let's start with your workouts personally. I'm, I'm sure you had some good gym access before. So is there things right now that you're you're up to that are a little bit different? Um, yes. I like love my training right now. And I don't want to be insensitive to anyone out there who's like at home with three kids in Chicago. Like I, I mean, <laughs> so I have a few privileges at my disposal. One is I don't have any kids. And two is I'm in Florida, so I can be outside all the time, which is a game changer. So, um, I'm limited just like everyone else. Like I don't have a gym, but I was fortunate to commandeer some equipment from my gym. I usually go to a CrossFit gym to do my training. Um, and they lent me a barbell and some plates, which is enough to do some damage. I have some rings and I have, um, just some dumbbells. So, I mean, my training is pretty like, it's pretty similar to what it was before from a, a resistance standpoint, but I have, gotten a lot more uh, frequent with another type of training that I'll talk about. Um, so yeah, my re resistance training is just like barbell training. I don't have a ton of weight, but I have enough to keep some good resistance on me. And, um, I usually do conditioning pretty relig religiously, but I haven't, um, in the previous two COVID, I wasn't running a lot, but now that's what I have. So I don't have any kind of, uh, assault bike or a row, row machine. So I don't have anything to do that. So I've been doing a lot of running, which has been good for my pacing. So that's always good. Um, but I've been doing a lot of pool training. And so, um, I'd love to share this, but this is not my idea. I did not make this up. I did not, I don't want to take any credit for this, but I just want to pass it on. Cause I think it's awesome. Um, I went to a retreat a couple of years back that's run by Gabrielle Reese and Laird Hamilton, who are, the most awesome power couple ever. They're married. Uh, Laird Hamilton's a famous big wave surfer and Gabrielle Reese is a famous uh, professional beach volleyball player. Um, and they are, they run these retreats and one of the key pieces of the retreat is teaching this uh, underwater training. And basically it's, you take weight underwater with you, you take dumbbells underwater and perform different exercises. One of which is very simple. You just swim with a weight underwater. So I hold like a 25 pound dumbbell to my chest and swim underwater. 
um, for as long as I can and then come up for, for breathing periodically. Or I take like two 40 pound dumbbells and walk across the pool with these 40 pound dumbbells while I'm holding my water. So basically, well, I'm holding my breath. So basically this does a couple of things. Um, it takes stress off of your joints. We all know that like swimming takes stress off of your joints. I am not a huge swimmer traditionally. Like I don't like to go swim for cardio. Um, but I have loved this training and it's like brings a whole different like physicality to water training. Um, and so the taking the stress off the joints is one thing. However, holding your breath underwater while you're performing physical tasks is really hard. It's very, it's really hard. Get your heart rate up quick. So you're getting this like ridiculous conditioning workout with almost like zero stress to your body from like a musculoskeletal standpoint. So it's a different type of like you get out of the water from this training and you're exhausted, but your body doesn't feel it. So, um, that's been my biggest, like I've just had more time and also like I've kind of been restricted to pool a pool and I happen to have a pool in my backyard. Um, and also there's a pool open here that, you know, we just stay like respectful distance of each other <laughs> at the pool and, and do that. So that's been fantastic. Um, and I do want to touch on like the actual breath portion of that is something that is, is huge. So part of the reason why, of course it gets your heart rate up, but part of the reason why it's so phenomenal for like training your endurance or training conditioning is because you're holding your breath, which increases your CO2 tolerance. So all that means is, I mean, your, your lungs or your body is constantly trying to expel CO2. So it's a, it's a waste gas. It's a waste product of your body. So you're constantly trying to expel CO2 from your body, but if you're holding it in, while you're doing the exercises, and especially when you're underwater and you're a bit compressed from, from the water pressure, makes it that much more difficult. And then your body, it's like CO2 is almost a poison. So if you hold the CO2 in your lungs for a longer period of time, your body kind of gets used to that or conditioned to the CO2 being in your lungs. And therefore, when you're in a stressful situation, like in a, uh, not me, but like as an athlete, I'm speaking now. Um, so when you're in a stressful situation where you're kind of exhausted, you're at the end of the game or you're, pitch, you're a pitcher and you're in a stressful situation and your body's producing more of this, basically your body is more resistant to the CO2 in your body. So if that, I don't know if that's, I don't know if I really described that very well. Hopefully I'm not butchering it too bad, but yeah, this is a, a technique that I learned at, uh, XPT life is the, is what it's called. And, um, Laird Hamilton, the surfer would do this basically, to train for surfing, they would take big rocks and walk under, walk on the sand in the ocean, like under, underwater and train with these big rocks. And then he's basically turned it into this like training technique. It's phenomenal. I just, it's something that I just like enjoy. It's fun. But also, like I said, I mean, I get done and I feel like I've just ran a marathon, even though, okay, I shouldn't say that I've never run a marathon, but I feel like I'm just almost, I'm exhausted. But again, like my, my muscles aren't sore. My body hasn't taken the beating that it normally would. So I'm getting to do a lot more of that. Um, and I would say that's one of the most enjoyable parts of it. And then on top of that is just the breathing aspect of, I always find that when I'm in a, um, when I'm in like a downtime for a, for a good amount of time, not downtime, like 10 minutes at the end of a day or, or even an hour or two hours. Like when I have time alone for a week or two weeks, some of you parents out there are like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but when I have my, my, time to myself, I really get into a more aware relationship with my breath. And so 
if I notice, I can notice myself shallow breathing or vertically breathing, lifting my chest to breathe or holding my breath much easier. So it's, it just keeps me in tune with like how I'm feeling with recovery wise, how I'm feeling just stress, stress levels wise. And it's also just a reminder to me of how important my breathing is. So um, we just covered a lot in the past 10 minutes, but that I would say that would be like kind of how I'm taking this approach to my entire physical well-being during this time. Yeah, I think within that specifically too, I think the the breath in general is something that we don't often look at or, or look at enough. And you definitely are fully, uh, that's that's everything when you're doing that kind of training. And I, I've read books, or I've, I haven't should say, I have not read but I've heard of books like The Oxygen Advantage and I'd, I'd heard of that like CO2 tolerance or if you're just nose yes. breathing. And, and yes. yeah, so it it, it definitely uh, strike. I'd imagine like, did you say you were not running right now because or, or you're just doing this instead of running? Um, I am running. I, I wasn't running a lot before. I was using just some stuff at the gym and kind of doing more circuit training, I guess. So I wasn't running a ton, but this is forcing me to run a lot. And so that's been really good for my pacing. But while I'm running, I don't know if you were going here, but I'm going to go here for you. While I'm running, my breathing, basically I'm trying to stay nasal breathing as much as possible. But if if anything, I just take note of when I'm losing that ability to do that. So I do nasal breathing. So for example, the other day I went out and did two miles and I was doing them for time. So I was, I mean, I was really pushing the pace a bit. And I was able to complete the first mile completely nasal breathing. And then I took about like a five minute rest. And then I did a second mile and I lost nasal breathing like the last 25% of the mile, the last maybe 400 meters. And that's pretty good for me. Like usually, I mean, usually I have to break my nasal breathing in the first mile as well shortly. So I just try to take note of my breath and let that be the indicator of what's going on with me physio- physiologically speaking. Yeah, that's that's essentially where I was going. I I did want to ask as well. I mean, you'd said you don't run often, and I'm sure you're probably not don't have necessarily like, oh, this is my best 5k time or mile time, or maybe you do. But I was curious how the doing that type of work had impacted your ability to to run. I I think sometimes, especially if those of us who are a little bit more inclined for speed or power or that type of thing, to get your conditioning or a lot of your conditioning through running. Um, I feel like it might be a powerful thing to get your conditioning or your, your aerobic conditioning on a level through the type of work you're doing with the breath and then running on a small, does that make sense? I was just curious how you were noticing your running being impacted through your, your breath and the water. Oh yeah. No, all of it, all of my conditioning, even just like, I want to say even just in my like life, you know, like I think it's actually just just like anything else, when you pay attention to your technique, like in the weight room, I think you probably have just a bit more of awareness, even just when you're like standing around. Um, and I think like with my, for sure, I, I use nasal breathing as a training tool when, within my, my like exercise regimen. So then when it comes time, if I just want to go ham on something, I don't necessarily force myself to stay with nasal breathing because it is restricting the amount of airflow. So it's more of like a, it's, it's almost like carrying weight on your back a little bit. Like it's, it's like wearing a weight vest, but for your breathing. So I'm challenging my breath and I think that it makes it easier when I do want to go ham or just like at the end of a workout, when I like start to kind of suck air, like 
it makes it easier because I've done that training beforehand or, or just fights off that like my critical power is higher. So the term critical power just basically like the high, the highest amount of power you're able to hold before you kind of go like over the top and you are huffing and puffing and breathing hard. So, um, I mean, it definitely affects my training in that way positively, but also, like I said, I'm just so much more aware in the past two to three years, I'm just so much more aware of my breathing. And when I'm in a stressful situation or just even when I'm not like sometimes I'll notice myself shallow breathing or holding my breath. And I'm like, Whoa, what's going on with me right now? And I'm like, Oh, yep. Okay. I was just thinking about this person that I hate. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> or maybe, 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 but, but seriously, like, Oh, what was I just thinking about where my breathing just changed? Or I started holding my breath because I was anxious about something that I was thinking about, you know? So I think just being more in tune, your body is, is so intelligent and oftentimes will give you a signal of what is going on before you can like process it. So for example, you like, let's say you're speeding and you, I know many people can relate to this. You're speeding and you pass a cop and all of a sudden your face gets red and you're like, hair, <laughs> hair stands up and like, it is instantaneous. So, and, and those, that's something that you consciously know what happened, right? The cop passed you, you're speeding and you're kind of like, shit, you know, and you you just get this like physical response but a lot of times we're not like cognitively aware, but our body is responding. It's, a, it's really incredible. So I just think that um, it started out with training, but I think that breathing is a huge part of training and just also just regulating your, uh, regulating your, um, your life responses, not just your training responses. So being in touch with your breath and understanding that you think you're calm, but are you really, you know, like you're, you're like, I'm totally under control and you're shallow breathing and holding your breath and whatnot. So I think it's just a good indicator of where you're at. Yeah. When I've done the anything, I haven't done that actual training specifically. I know my friends and I used to have competitions in the pool and the, the neighbor's backyard and who could do the most laps underwater and all that type of stuff. And I was mm -hmm. far better under the water than, than swimming on top of the water. But I always felt like, and even doing things now, like I do like the, the Wim Hof method and a lot of like the breath hold and the breath hold with the cold water. And there's something that's extremely meditative and like centering in that type of work as well. And I feel, yes. like, I feel like that's extremely valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's all, it's always good to, I feel like especially times like these, it's always cool to do something that we probably wouldn't have been doing a lot of otherwise. And so in terms of just attitudes or just ideas and thoughts on uh, coaching in general uh, in the in all this downtime, have you been um, have you been looking at the the art of coaching or the just coaching in general in any sort of new light? Or has, has this time when, when we all get back to work at some point, uh, what do you think some things from this time might have carried through or or what are you in the midst of with that right now? Um, I did. I mean, I'll just take it from like a general learning perspective. Like you're asked, I think you're asking like, cause everyone's doing these webinars and I've, which is wonderful. Like so amazing to see. Um, but I'm just like, I'm just studying. Like I just finished, I am Malala, uh, which is a, a story of a young woman who, um, is the youngest ever person to win the Nobel peace prize. She stood up for women's education in Pakistan when the Taliban was pretty bad there. Um, she was shot by a Taliban member. I am reading the long walk to freedom this is the autobiography of Nelson Mandela. 
I'm just reading like historical leader books. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, frankly, I'm not diving into the X and O's, O's, O's right now. I'm commuting with, I'm communicating with the players mostly just like very casually. Um, and then if they want to send me video of their swings and stuff, I do, but I, I'm trying to be sensitive to like, I don't know what these guys are feeling. You know, are they, are they fearful that they might lose their jobs in baseball? Are they, so I'm not like diving it. Everyone's like, Oh, are you, uh, sending video and doing, uh, webinars with your players? I'm like, well, no, I'm just asking them how their mom's doing, you know? And, <laughs> and, uh, just talking, you know, shooting the shit a little bit. And then if they send me some videos of their swing, I look at it. And if they don't, I don't. And, in the meantime, just studying their swings online on our internal database. But um, I don't know, man. I, I just think that for me personally, I don't necessarily think you have to like study coaching to be better as a coach um, sometimes. I think that's, I think it has a, its time and its place, but there's definitely room for other areas of growth that can contribute to you as a coach. Yeah, I actually couldn't agree more. I almost, maybe the way I framed the question I was, I mean, even in my own personal work and writing, I've just been thinking a lot about a lot of topics on coaching, but again, not in the X's and O's, more from just things outside the field, just general, like I've been reading a book uh, that has perspective of the world in general and, and economics and, and how we are, we are, and just a lot of different Mm -hmm. topics. And I think it all kind of, uh, whenever, every time I can feed that back in the sport and coaching in my job, when I get back to doing that. Uh, a little more regularly in the in-person medium, I think that it'll be a powerful thing. So it's, yeah, it's just good to get outside and, and to get outside the field and read stuff that I think definitely it still relates to it. How we do anything is how we do everything. And I, yeah, you, yeah. You and I have talked about that a bit, just understanding that being a well-rounded human gives you perspective, you know? And so I, I just have never felt, and I, and I, there's nothing wrong with being someone like this for me. I just don't think my strength is being a guru in one area of like X's and O's or periodization or whatever. It's always been that I want to understand a more big picture, global view, and then, you know, be able to relate to a, a lot of people. So, yeah. Yeah, it's awesome, Rachel. Uh, before our, our, you know, I'm not. Sometimes I'm not used to these little short mini clips, like I'm a full length episode. But I know our, our time's about up here. And I know last time you were on, you were sharing a little bit about your GoFundMe project. So could you quickly recap that again before we get off the line here? Sure, still going. Um, this was the end of the third week. Just came up uh, yesterday, and it's been great. We've it's almost three thousand dollars now, which is really cool. That's that's more than I could give by myself. Um, and I'm just encouraging everyone to give five bucks. If you got it, $1, it makes a huge difference. And basically you can go to the link in my bio. And, um, for me personally, it was, I wanted to pledge $5 a day. The MLB is off cause I'm off of work, but I'm not out of work. And I just know that a lot of people are feeling it right now. So I wanted to pledge some of my own money and I'm just inviting everyone to do the same if they can. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on again, Rachel. It was really good to talk to you. Absolutely. Rafe, hey, great to talk to you, man. Uh, here's, and I'm excited to talk to you particularly because you are somebody who I think's exercise routine outside of some partner stuff has yeah. been not necessarily altered a lot by everything going on. Yeah, I'm still going out and playing in the woods every day, you know, or not every day, but as often as I get a chance to. Um, and, 
yeah, uh, avoiding a few spots that are highly trafficked, but mostly uh, training in the woods is is probably about as safe a place as you can train right now. Yeah, I think that this is just the thought that I've had. Like this has been my overarching thought. And I'm sure you're you're the first of these uh, segments that I'm I'm doing. And I'm sure I'm probably going to reiterate this a lot, but all of a sudden the rage is body weight training. But the thing is, is I feel like it's done with a connotation almost of a well, you have to downgrade a little bit because you got to lift barbells before, and now you just have to do pistols and burpees or something, right? Like, I mean, not that that's a bad thing, but um, playing in the woods is just something that's totally outside that 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 box you know what i'm saying and yeah. i think there's a lot of power yeah. to that see a ton of people on social media doing you know extra push-ups or or whatever like hey, you know here's a push-up challenge here's a this challenge here's a that challenge um yeah i mean i'm i'm my strength you know i'm lucky enough to have a little home gym so my strength routine doesn't have to change at all but i'm you know my strength routine is like uh, once a week right now uh doing uh, doing upper body stuff and making great gains on that. So that's pretty, that's pretty fun. But what we're, what we're focused on is not so much that level, the strength level, which is where a lot of people focus on, but on the movement, you know, on the movement level, on how you can become a better athlete. This is the funny thing about the whole fitness culture right now is most of it doesn't actually make you a better athlete. Right? Like, uh, you know, I'm going to bang on CrossFit for a second, but the fittest athlete on the planet, um, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Fittest exerciser. Sure. But they're not athletes because they don't, they don't move like athletes. They don't have perception action coupling to environmental challenges, you know, that are complex and require, you know, intelligent decision-making at a high level. Like there's, there's, there's some of that, obviously there's some strategy in, in a wad, but, uh, but there's just nothing that compares uh, in, in throwing weights around and doing ring muscle-ups to being able to navigate through a complex environment or around another player or deal with contact or any of those things that we have. And so um, so that's the, that's the level that we're interested at is how do you make somebody good at solving movement problems? Um, and the cool thing about that is that uh, there's lots of that that you can do when you don't have access to a gym. Yeah, for sure. I, I think about the importance of some information, right? Just, just information in the workout information in the environment as a big, and as an important factor. Cause I think that body weight stuff that you would do body weight in your living room could be a lot more exciting if there's just information there all of a sudden, <laughs> that's not just the floor or the wall or whatever. And I was out by myself at a basketball court, just doing dunks the other day. And mm -hmm. the more I learned, the more I I understand just the little nuances. Like when you throw the ball up in the air and it's bouncing and you have to go get it, you just created a constraint. That's all of a sudden everything changes. Like, and it actually, it excites your body, electrifies your body. Like it's every, all systems are more on board for what you're doing. If versus just going up to touch the rim or something, it's, there's a lot more richness to it. And so I feel like working in nature, working in a tree environment with trees, that's even more information rich, uh, can just get so many systems lit up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you feel that sense of play and that sense of play is kind of like that flow state is that, that state where you have like an optimal amount of information that's coming into the nervous system. That's attuning your nervous system to being more intelligent at dealing with, with, you know, those fundamental things. Like when you bounce a ball and you go up to get it, you're learning to read types of information from the environment that will show up in lots of different tasks. 
your nervous system is picking up on that and saying, oh, okay, this, this is challenging me in a way that's very interesting and that it's feeding me really interesting information. Um, whereas if you just stand on a rim and jump up and test your vert over and over and over again, um, that's, that's not giving you nearly as much. It's not, it's, it's kind of treating the body as just a machine and not getting the perception aspect of it going on. And that's the wonderful thing about moving in the trees is you know, this is the, the, the information that we evolved to attune to, right? We evolved to move through these environments and there's something inherently rewarding about how much it, how much sophistication and how much integration of the body mind system is going to happen when you're doing that. I've been um, playing in a particular group of trees. It's kind of interesting. I, I looked at these trees years ago. That's a group of Portuguese uh, laurel trees. Um, they're fairly close together. And so there's all these trunks and you can kind of like um, climb between the trunks. And I looked at it years ago and it was like, I did a few things, but it wasn't that interesting to me. And then um, I took some friends there recently to another area nearby. And we just decided to do a run to warm up and we ended up at, the, at these trees. And I was like, well, let's give these trees a, a chance. And so we climbed up into the canopy of the trees and all of a sudden discovered that we could make routes all around the entire canopy of like seven trees or eight trees. Um, and there's all this, you know, really interesting complex coordination of hand and foot placements and swinging the body and jumping the body and landing with precise foot placements on, uh, on the trunks and the branches in these trees. It's very, it feels like for me, it's like very chimpanzee. Like I just watched right before I found this place, I just watched, uh, BBC's dynasties and I was watching the way the chimps move in the trees and how much it looks like parkour. And so then I went, I found this place and I was like, ah, this is it, man, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm feeling exactly the kind of environments that we evolved in. Um, and it, it's just really interesting how much, how unique each movement is. And then when you finish the training there, you know, it's like, I don't warm up before I train in that spot. Right. Like, why do you warm up? You warm up because, well, you need your body temperature to go up, but you also want to move your body through big ranges of motion and expose all the tissues to different kind of, uh, um, you know, make sure all the tissues can go in all the directions that they need to go. Right. Um, and then you, you, you warm up also to get your nervous system and your, your arousal up to an appropriate place and your emotions tuned in. But, in an environment like that, when I just start moving in the trees, I'll go slow for a little while. That's the warm up is not doing it as intensely. But then as you're moving, essentially, you know, there's so many angles, there's so many different uh, force vectors moving through you. There's so many different relationships between your different aspects of your structure, uh, you know, your grip versus your stance versus, you know, the position of your torso, um, you know, how your feet are interacting with the surface that you're getting this enormous kind of set of inputs that are helping get the body moving in any number of ways. All the stuff that you would lay on the ground and try to make sure that you did all the rotations and rolls and, you know, lunges, et cetera. It's all happening, right? It's just, it's automatic in that environment. Um, the environment forces you to move the way that a human needs to nourish their structure. And so you move through it and then you warm up and then, um, and then like my, my upper body feels so worked afterwards, right? Because I'm just gripping these branches and swinging from them and jumping and catching them, um, muscling up and casting up on them. And so it's like, you have this 
incredible full body integration of, of, uh, of, of coordination and strength and agility and everything else you're looking for as you move through there. Yeah. I like the, the idea of not needing to warm up because I think that the more we make things artificial and manufactured, the more the warm up becomes artificial and manufactured. It's like, it's almost like, um, the more you get out of the natural environment, the more it becomes, um, it's like systems thinking where it's like not a complex system. It's a linear system or something like that. And so let's do a linear warm up, then let's do linear sets and X and X, Y, Z, but nature, it's all built in. So I, I really, I really like that. I mean, I would totally agree. Same thing. If I'm doing anything like that, even honestly, even when I'm sprinting these days, I don't, I just, the warm up's just kind of some sprint stuff. That's, that's not lower intensity, but it's not nothing too substantial. Uh, so when you, you go out and you, like a chunk of time, like you would, would, how would you divide up your time? Are you doing um, like runs? Like, are you doing, is there any like sprinting components or running through? Or is there different themes each day? Uh, what does an average day look like for you front to back when you're working out in the forest? Yeah, it, it's hard. I always go in with certain, like, usually the day isn't what I plan. I'll say that, right? <laughs> there's, there's always a plan. And then, you know, no plan survives contact with the environment. Um, cause you get intrigued, you get excited about things. And then you, you think that you, you know, you're like, Oh, I'm going to spend 20 minutes in this tree and then it's 45 minutes. And then, you know, uh, you, you don't have as much time for the next thing you're doing. Uh, so like a typical, I'll, I'll just describe a couple of recent sessions. So the last time I went out, I went to those trees that I was just talking about and I just moved around to them until I was warmed up. And then I found certain routes that were exciting for me. Um, and so I, I kind of, I was, I, I had, I brought a couple of like 10 pound uh, bumper plates. I threw them down on the ground in front of a, uh, like a little concrete pillar in the ground because I wanted to work jumps and like, you know, striding actions. Uh, but that's not so much that something that those trees offer me. So I was just taking breaks and going over and striding and doing a precision jump. Right. And so I do that. And then I just kind of follow whatever felt really interesting in the tree. And then I also really specifically wanted to work on doing running jumps to uh, landing on at the trunk of the tree where I have to catch with my hands and my feet, what we call a cat leap in parkour. But they're, they're intimidating and scary when you're going to a narrow surface. Um, and then the biggest one, and this is what you see with like, you'll see chimps do this. Uh, the, the lemur called the sifak is the, like the best in the world of this. There's a shifak. Um, they, they do cat to cats or they start in a, you start facing one tree in a hanging or clinging position, uh, in a clinging position where you have feet and hands on it. And then you have to jump off and turn 180 and catch the next tree. Um, and so there's a lot of stuff that opens up for us in being able to move between vertical tree surfaces if we're good at this, but it's quite intimidating. So that was like, I'm going to, I'm going to work on that. Um, so I worked on those things together. So I take some time and then I found this really cool, reverse vault in between two branches of another tree nearby. So I do that and then I come back. So I just loop through these things in a kind of circuit. Um, and I didn't, I, I, you know, I just, I didn't pay attention to the time. Actually. I didn't, uh, I didn't, um, have any specific sets. I was just kind of paying attention to my body. And then I also knew that I wanted to work on cast ups, which is a skill where you have the branch directly uh, along your hips and you try to uh, swing your body up behind you and bring your feet down into a, a squatted position on top of the branch. So this is the fastest way to get from like the end position of a muscle up or, or a kip up to the top of an object. Um, but 
you know, it can be very intimidating to do on something high. And especially like, you know, um, when you're in gymnastics, you have a consistent bar that's the same every time. Or even in urban parkour, a lot of times you have a metal bar that's relatively consistent. But when you're on tree branches, it's like some of them are thicker, some of them are narrower, some of them tip and sway and turn on you in different ways. Um, or they might have moss on top or whatever it is. So there's lots of things that make that more complex. Um, so it's really key skill. So I'm repping that out, getting those reps in as I play. Um, and then I walked over to another spot and worked some long jumps. So I was doing like a 14 and a half foot running jump to a precision, you know, and I, I intentionally found some like bark dust cause it was soft on my knees and I, I didn't want to overstress my knees cause I had a little, actually my knees started hurting cause I've been sitting too much, uh, doing too much work. Um, and then, uh, I finished by going to this beautiful maple tree that has like a, a wall run that allows me to catch a branch, j catch another branch and then swing up and grab a third branch and come up. This is really it's the, the trunk of this maple has big lugs in it. So you can climb it like a rock wall. And then I was trying to like speed climb it by jumping from lug to lug until I got to the branches. Um, and so that was pretty much it. Like I just did those things. Um, I was just trying to attend to like my fatigue level to make sure that I had enough energy left to do everything. Oh, and then I forgot I did a bunch of flips in there too. <laughs> uh, so that's a typical, that was like, when we, when we work with people and we're beginning the process, we'll give more structure because structure helps people, right? Um, but as you learn to play the game, the structure doesn't have to be as explicit. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Right on. I, um, it, it definitely makes sense as you move through and That's even as I've been doing that type of work, I, it's like the more I watch, I just watch your videos right now. And then I've, I've checked out that PDF you set up with all the different games and all those things. And so that's given me uh, but the more I watch you, the more I'm like, oh, there's another thing you could do. There's another thing you could do. And yeah. it, it really builds on itself. Um, I think that a lot of people, I mean, like it or not, a lot of people, I know, and I know we covered this with like your athleticism, like you, you'd mentioned it was easy for you to dunk a basketball, maybe even more so than when you were like 20 years younger, formally training for it, right? With all the, the way this has impacted your body. Because I think people hear movement or they think playing and they don't associate it with getting jacked or getting cut, right? Like that's just where our society goes, reverse aesthetics. Yeah. And I know we've had conversations where you've said, you've talked about you used to work in CrossFit and you were actually getting pretty close to the world leading standards in some of these wads or whatever. So how has your like body changed in the sense that you've done more of this in terms of just strength, upper or lower? Because you do still lift uh, body composition. Can you tell us a little bit about that? It's been an interesting journey on that. Like I've, I've always kind of focused on the movement side because, you know, that's just been where my interest is. Uh, but I was also struggling. I had, I had uh, IBS. So I had like serious gastrointestinal issues for a long time and I was suffering from chronic fatigue. So despite like, you know, funny story. So I told you that I, so in, when I was, I went paleo and I got really lean and I was doing really well. And then I moved to Seattle and started teaching CrossFit and I ended up in a situation where I was teaching CrossFit. Uh, basically I would teach the 7am, 8am, 9am, noon, four, six, seven. And then at eight, I would get to teach my parkour classes. Whoa. Um, so then I was trying to train parkour on top of that. And I was like mixing parkour with CrossFit principles. So I was doing like parkour wads, like super high intensity circuits where you're doing them continuously AMRAPs and stuff. Um, and then I was running uh, Mark Ripito's starting strength. 
And I, uh, and then they really wanted me to do some of the wads that they were programming as well. But I would only do a couple of those a week because I just was breaking down. So over the course of that, of that, that like six months or whatever that I was really kind of seriously doing this CrossFit stuff, I got to doing a 440 deadlift at a body weight of 210. Um, and, uh, and I did a 355 back squat for five reps and I uh, cleaned 250. And then for CrossFit wads, I did Fran in 223. At the time, I think the, the world record was just around two seconds um, or uh, two minutes. And uh, I actually had two of my pull-ups not counted on that. And I did Grace in 147. Um, I think the world record was like 137 at that time. So I was doing pretty well with the CrossFit wads. But the weird thing is my body comp actually went to hell during that period. Like I went from 192 to 210 and... Um, um, and I, uh, I, I went from probably 12% to like 18, 20% body fat, um, despite the fact that I was performing well on this traditional, you know, the stuff that for a lot of people gets them lean. But I think that it was because I had these underlying health issues that I was dealing with. So recently I went carnivore, um, and, uh, I shed 12 pounds like that, um, and my body compositions improved. And then I've been getting stronger on things that uh, were hard for me to get strong on for a long time. So all of a sudden I'm 38 years old and, uh, and my strength is, is rising faster than it has in years. I do want to say just cause uh, this is, I'm sure that will be controversial for a lot of people, but the carnivore thing, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say that carnivore is the ultimate answer for everybody or that it's the best diet in general. I think that um, for people with autoimmune underlying issues it can be really really useful and it um if you're looking at body comp basically what you're trying to do is get yourself to eat less calories without um without increasing without messing up the hormonal balance between leptin and ghrelin and so you can you can cut weight basically doing anything so long as the calories are low but if at the but if when you're keeping your calories low, you're driving your ghrelin level up and your leptin level down, you're always going to have a rebound on the other side and often it's going to be worse. So what, what works about the carnivore diet, um, in addition to the fact that it's helping you heal these, uh, these um, underlying autoimmune conditions, if you have them, and many people don't and don't need to necessarily take this uh, approach, but it's just very high satiation right? You just get full and you don't want to eat. And this really works with any mono diet. The potato diet works the same way. So that's just a <laughs> kind of off topic. But if people are interested in body comp, that's my take on that. And um, I, I like my body comp is not the best in the world. I'm not the best advocate for, you know, getting abs through movement training. M lots of lots of athletes that I've worked with have, but they haven't had, I don't think the, the underlying autoimmune conditions that I have. Like I have vitiligo, which is where my, my skin is bleached white in certain places by immune system attacking itself. So um, I, I've been able to achieve lots of strength, lots of elasticity, lots of explosiveness. Um, jacked and ripped has not been my, uh, <laughs> my strong suit. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. There's obviously a lot of other things going on there. Di yes, di I'm glad you brought diet up. I guess I just think, I think that the way that we tend to view exercise, it's like um, in some way we look at uh, like people working out in prison, right? They got nothing to do, 
and they just do tons of reps. Like Dan John has talked about this. It's like, there's no willpower needed. Just I'm here. Let's do some pushups. Let's do some of this and that and the other thing. And that works great for body composition. And I'm sure a, a, a blended approach can be great too. But I just, I know from my own experience in just playing more like a day where my nervous system feels a little down and I had a sprint day on the table to go and just set a course where I'm running 30 to 50 seconds through some trees is my feel way better the next day. And I got some good running in and everything. It's just like you're, you're zooming out on the variability you're taking more. You're expanding the degrees of freedom. I just think there's, and it's, um, it's an option that's open for pretty much anybody these days. So I think it's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, you sent me a message about that, about like, you're basically experiencing so much more variability, right? And so you're not getting pattern overload. Um, and you're, you're exciting your nervous system, right? And you're getting into that flow state. So you're getting a lot of adaptation, a lot of motor learning. And, you know, I was thinking about this in the most recent articles that I, that I wrote about this idea that essentially what are the fundamental masteries that you need that help you in any sport? It's like, well, you need to be able to move well through your environment. Um, so the environment can be a basketball court and other players that you have to move around, or it can be, you know, uh, some trees that you're moving through. And you might not think that those are closely related, but fundamentally it's about being able to see the space, perceive it and move through it. And the more locomotive options you have, the more diverse your body is, the more capable it is, the better you're going to move. And if we think about how sport makes us a better mover for the rest of our life, um, Part of that, in my opinion, has to be this. How do we build the capacity of the athlete to move in the environment? And uh, we didn't evolve to run on basketball courts and flat ground, right? We evolved for for a diverse environment. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, fundamentally, it's like, how do you move through the environment? How do you uh, manipulate objects, right? And then how can you move and deal with another human being? That's, yeah. those are the, that's where that's where the fundamentals. Yeah, I know a lot of people out there interested in this and the great time to get interested in it. I know you have um, a few things. I know you have that PDF with various things to get started in nature and then you have a course. Uh, could you tell me about each of those two things for people who are like, hey, this is a great time to get started on this route um, and to learn more about how to do it? Yeah, so we, we just, you know, we were going to do a whole kind of um, block of of content around aliveness, which is um, a significant part of that is applying player versus player to like our parkour practice, um, which obviously is something we can't do as much anymore. But the other aspect of aliveness is really learning to, to, to adapt to things in the moment. Right. So rather than, uh, rather than pre-planning everything and having everything wrote, you know, it's the difference between kata and free flow sparring. Right. Um, and you can still free flow just doing shadow boxing, for instance, right? Where you're, you're imagining a scenario and you're letting it play out and you're moving dynamically with, in relationship to that scenario. So we can do the same thing with some of these games that we put, uh, put out. So people can check out our, uh, our free PDF on the top nine games that we start people out for, um, for adding aliveness to their training. Um, and then we have a, a membership now, uh, for, uh, natural parkour where we can support people online to get their program going. And, you know, um, we really have always been advocates for the value of training outdoors. And it doesn't mean that training in gyms isn't useful because there's a lot of community that can come from that. And there's lots of great tools, but there's so much to be learned from the outdoor environment. And there's, 
you know, it, it's such a, and it's, it's, it's such a forgotten aspect of our culture. Like so many kids never got that experience any of, of being able to just go and play outdoors and, and learn their environment. So we're trying to essentially educate people about that again. And I think this is, you know, as much tragedy as happening right now, it's, it, there's an opportunity for people to, to say, okay, if I don't have access to the gym, how can I train? And there's so much out there that we're not aware of. So we built this program so that it teaches you those basic fundamental skills of how to move through the environment well, right? Vaulting, jumping, climbing, break falling, moving on all fours. Um, but also we built a program so that it teaches you how to find spots outdoors. So it has a whole component around learning to recognize the opportunities that are out there in the environment for you to move on and starting with finding simple things that are easy to find and moving towards more difficult things um, that are more enriching and more, you know, more powerful to have in your environment. And then we also know that a lot of times like people, it, what holds people back is the routine, right? The gym is a routine. It, it's an easy way to block out their time. And if they're starting to go to different areas around the city to find beautiful places to train or around their native environment, that can be a time management problem. So we built in a time management component to this. And we fundamentally think that the purpose of your movement practice is the growth of you as a human being. So we also added a mindfulness and journaling component to it. So, you know, if people, I know people are struggling with a lack of access to to their movement practices and that can have a huge impact on you physically emotionally psychologically like people are going to be depressed because they can't do what they're used to and so this is an alternative that can help support people and so we've discounted it by 50 percent right now for anyone who wants to get on the membership um so we, yeah we'd love to support people in come come learn what it's like to 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 run your training outdoors and to become that uh that more integrated human beings through the practice. Yeah. I know that my adding work in nature has been probably the most, I'd say it's probably the most impactful thing I've done in my own work in the last decade. So uh, I will post the links to the PDF and the course on the show notes for this episode. Thanks for your time today, Ray. I really appreciate it, man. <laughs> Thank you. All right, that closes out part two of our little mini-series. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, and as Rafe was talking about, if you want to check out either that free movement games and movement practice PDF, as well as the community, the parkour community, check out the show notes on the Just Fly Sports website related to this episode, and you can go ahead and grab those there. If you enjoyed the show, don't hesitate to leave us a rating or review on Stitcher, iTunes, whatever you're listening to. We'd really appreciate it. Special thanks to our sponsor, simplyfaster.com. Great blog and suppliers of the best sports tech in the business. So be sure to check them out and support what they do. And we'll see you guys next week with another great guest. Have a good one.